Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, and that therefore is referring to some things that have been said earlier, which we'll come to in a moment. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Leave it there because that really belongs to the next bit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You got your Bible, just look at the first verse of chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Julian and John spoke about these verses and Julian last week, the 
the second half of that. And um, yeah, what we've read this morning is tough. That's the first word that come to me as I read it. For example, be imitators of God. There can't be anything tougher than that, can it? Be imitators of God, then as dear children. And I thought to myself, what's Paul doing? Paul's going back to, back, right back to the beginning, right back to the beginning of time. And God said, let us make man, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And God could have stopped there, let us make man in our image, but we read on, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So actually, for us to be like God is also the, is the, both the simplest thing that could ever be, but it's also the most profound thing that could ever be. You enjoy humour, I enjoy humour. You enjoy beauty, I enjoy beauty. We enjoy community. God enjoys community. There's a sense of simplicity of God-like characteristics within us, which is just God-like. It's just God himself being reflected in us. And I think that's wonderful. You enjoy the things enjoyable? You know, God's gonna, got right at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what he's doing for us. And that's partly the plan and the purpose that Paul exposed in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The great things that God's doing. He's working out this messy world. He's got a tremendous plan that brings us to the place where there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. You could read Revelation, you get stirred up by all the images and all the funny words and the pictures and all the things that are going to happen in the future. And sometimes we're, we're left dead with what God's going to do in the future. We're left, I just can't understand all this. Well, just take this this morning. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Because God created to enjoy pleasure. That's at his heart. When God created everything, he saw that it was good. Do you know, he didn't need anything else when he created man and woman. That just satisfied the very ideal and purpose of God. So it's not actually too difficult to be like God. But the problem is, we place God up there, out the way, and say, that's too beyond me. I can't have anything to do with that. But God said, it's not that difficult. He said, we just look at Jesus. And that makes it quite possible for us to be like God. And that's where Paul goes on this. He says, live a life of love. Live a life of love. And it means whatever we do, if we take 1 Corinthians 13, where he's talking about the, you know, the gifts being misused in the church, and sometimes they were just used to satisfy the person's own ego. Sometimes they were just done in order to say, well, I've got a gift, you know, and I'm going to use it. Fine. But Paul said, he said, I've got a better way. He said, I'll show you a better way. Whatever you do, think about how you can interpret that, interpret that with love in your heart towards other people and love towards God. And so he did. He said, if you do these things without remembering the love consequence of God towards you and the situation you're in, in community and moving together as a church. If you forget that, you've lost the plot, mate. You've lost the plot. 
you are nothing, and you're actually achieving nothing. Now, who, who of us would want that said over us? You are nothing, and you're not achieving anything. And so the whole, whole concept of the love of God being manifest through us is, is principally first here in what he's saying. Do everything as a child of God and love. These two chapters, 4 and 5, and a bit more afterwards, they're about toward be a Christian moving towards maturity. When we become believers, when we become Christians, it's not just becoming Christians. We're actually signing up, actually saying, yes, I want to go God's way, I understand there's a better way. And so in a sense, we've got a bigger picture here as Paul's unfolding what he's saying. More than just saying I'm a Christian, it's actually being a Christian. Declaring to other people that I'm different. And that's what the church is all about. I mean, if you talk to people about their outside, they're not really church people, who no contact with Christianity, they, they expect people who actually go to church to be a different sort of people. That's just a general, general thinking with people. Because you hear people say like, um, oh, they're all hypocrites in there. They're all saying no do. And so often that's quite right. So often that's because I look at myself. I say, yeah, that's right. But with Jesus, there was absolutely no hypocrisy. And I've said this here before and i say it again. You know, Jesus was, was powerful both in word and in deed. And why was he powerful in word? Because what he did matched up to what he said. There was a consistency in his life. And it's that inconsistency that Paul's addressing, isn't it? You said you want to be followers of Christ. Put your money where your mouth is. And so we don't. You know, if, I, I, if we as Beacon, and I'm just saying this, all right, if we took this chapter to heart, I bet you you'd see this church grow like wildfire. Because I know the, I know my own heart, and I know what I watch. And you watch the soaps, and you want that bad relationship to happen. I know it's only a story. I know it's only portraying life as it is, but it's perpetuating life as it shouldn't be. Because A, it breaks down my barrier. It breaks down something in me which says, okay, I'll watch it. But then you begin to enjoy it. And so if we're getting entertainment value, if we're getting entertainment value out of something which God hates. And he doesn't hate it because he hates it. He hates it because it destroys life. It destroys other people's life. And I just throw this out as I see it. I'm not throwing the challenge out to you because I know where my own heart is. But if my entertainment value is something, is in something which is, as far as God is concerned, a shame that even mention it, (coughs) 
God rests his case. God rests his case for us. Now, without, I don't want to be legalistic here because I understand art. And I understand what art portrays. And I understand that, yeah, we live in that sort of world. And I don't want to deny, and Paul said, he said, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, which, whatever is admirable, think on these things. Now, it's not wrong to think of sex, in a sense, because it's a beautiful thing that God's created. It's one of the most beautiful things that God's created in the physical realm. And that's how it should be. But you see, it's become, not love, but lust. It's become something. You know, I'm getting entertainment out of someone else's failure or sin. And, and I think that's the place that as a church shouldn't be. So I think if it, if it challenges us, if it cuts across our conscience, I think that's good. But also I want to say, this is not law. Okay? What we've read today is not a list of rules. It's not a list of rules. Paul says those things are improper and they're out of place. He doesn't say, yes, it, it was law. It was God's intention that these things should be written on our hearts that are unacceptable to God and they are sin. But we all sin and we all fail. Many a time I've gone to bed at night having watched something on the television and just asked God to wash me clean because I felt dirty in here. And that's what Paul's talking about impurity within the context of the church. A lot of it we don't know because we see each other as wonderful, as lovely as they are. We're thinking about the bigger picture. I've got a bigger picture than what you have because there's about 40, 50 faces out there and you've only got one here. That's the bigger picture. You see, up on the wall is the biggest picture of all. Jesus is Lord. And that's where the difference comes, isn't it? He loved Jesus to be our saviour and he's that. He saved us so much and he's given us a good jolly. He's given us freedom, as we've been thinking about this morning. He's given us a life which is really lovely and beautiful, but there are things which impede the work of God and the growth of the church. And that's why Paul was saying, no hint of sexual immorality. And these things were ashamed to speak about amongst you. Be imitators of God. And I think that's probably the toughest thing which we read here this morning. Be imitators of God. But whilst it's the simplest thing, there's a great profound mystery about it as well. We can do it. Can we do it? Yeah, we can. We can be like God because that's how God made us. That's how God made us. If you look in chapter 4 and verse 13, there's a bit here where Paul is talking about uh, the special um, 
gifts that God has given, gifts, callings of people in the church to actually move God's people on to maturity. All right? So we become Christians and we sign up to Jesus being as our saviour. We say, Lord Jesus, you've done something for me that I could never do myself. I want you to be my saviour. But we also want you to be our Lord. We also want you to be our Lord. And so if we read this together in verse 12, to prepare, these pastors and teachers are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Is that your aim? Is that your ambition? Is, is that a tough call? That's a tough call. It's a tough call in our lives. But we need all the days of our life to be going on towards maturity in Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question, where am I now as a Christian? How mature would God think I am? How mature? How is my maturity displayed? Well, we've looked at the earlier verses and maturity actually worked out in our relationship with one another. You know, God's done such an amazing thing through Jesus. He has done something which the world systems and organisations and powers cannot do, and that's to bring two men who are at loggerheads together to actually love each other. That's what it means when it's talking about God has brought Jew and Gentile together. Now the Jew, he hated anybody outside of his own race. He couldn't get on with him. But when Jesus came, he actually moved beyond that. There's a bigger picture in that, isn't there? Jesus had to go through Samaria, where the Gentiles were, because there was a woman who was going to be sitting on a well there. And he spoke to her. What? He spoke? The Jew spoke to a Gentile? Yes. He moved outside of where he was. And Jesus himself demonstrated what maturity was as a person. So can we. So in that sense, God has done this wonderful, amazing thing. The two have become one. That's also mirrored in marriage, isn't it? how difficult it is to get on sometimes and how, many, how much hurt there is sometimes in broken marriages. We don't, dis, we don't look down on people and, and come to it with judgment. And where there's hurt, God lives up. He lifts up and he heals. And that's what it's all about. The amazing thing. God brings two together and he makes one. In verse 14 of chapter 4 it says, then we will no longer be tossed be like infants tossed back and forth by the way. So what we read, I don't want to go on too much in chapter 4 because that's already been done, but it's towards maturity. That also is a tough call. Me as a person, I need to be mature in Jesus Christ. And to be moving on to somewhere I had never been before. I need to be working out God's grace on my life. I need to be facing up to issues in my life because whatever they are, God is there 
and he can help us with that. The tough call. So Paul's talking about moving on in maturity as a Christian. And I would challenge you this morning, if you have not thought that I need to move on to be mature in Jesus Christ, could you think about it? Where you are now, you can actually go beyond where you are now. There's nothing that you're experiencing, nothing that you know, nothing that's hidden in your heart, nothing in the past, nothing in the future can actually separate you from the love of Christ, but he's there and he wants to help you beyond that. He wants to help you with it. He wants to be in there with you. You know, the Bible tells us, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. In other words, he's in there with you, mate. Just like a father would be. He's right in there with you. He's right in there with me. You know, we feel so guilty sometimes about the things that we do. That's right. But, you know, it's a good thing, isn't it, really? But immediately we feel guilty, God's there. You know? He wants to take that guilt away. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far. He wants to remove them out of our memory as well sometimes. He wants to take them away. He wants to take the hurt away. You know? So it's on to maturity. Now we come back to chapter 5. Now, there are two times when Paul talks about the toughness of gratitude. The toughness of gratitude. If you look um, in verse 4 of chapter 5, it says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, how diverse could that be? Hmm? Maybe what he's saying is, you guys are just not satisfied with your life, that you're looking for every other excitement there is in your life when you fail to be thankful to God what he has given you. That's maturity. That's the toughness of maturity. Later on, in one of the other letters, he talks about giving thanks always or being grateful in every situation. That's a toughness about maturity that we find so difficult. He says, God, just thank, thank you for where you are. I mean, we have so much to thank God anyway. Gratitude. Thankfulness. The toughness of Gratitude. Yeah, into verse 15 in chapter 5, and we'll close with this. Be very careful then how you live. Now, if there was just a straight phrase that we could take out of here this morning, it could be that. Couldn't it? Take into our homes, into our work situation. Be very careful then how you live, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I just want to say that in the context of, you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't, I, I don't know what the answer to this is, and, I, and I'm not quite sure where I am as a Christian. Um, in another place, Paul talks, says, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Now, if you have any doubts in your life about things that displease him, here the door is open, it says, find out what pleases him. You know? Such an easy thing to do. Sometimes we do all the things that satisfy us and we pursue our own games. And I remember Fred saying so many times before, people just do what they want. And they do, and we do, I do, without finding out what pleases the Lord. That's a tough call too, isn't it? Finding out what pleases the Lord. And I would say here, and I put myself in the tomb, I guarantee you there's something about your life that pleases God, because none of us are perfect. But you know, the strange thing is, we looked about be imitators of God, and yet one of the writers says, let's just be perfect, because God is perfect. That call is on us, and it's possible. It's not an impossible thing. We can be perfect. A, because God has made us perfect, and so he's actually recreated us to himself. We're just now like God. When it's Satan who said to Adam and Eve, he said, now if you do this additional thing, then you'll become like God. But we don't have to do anymore. Sometimes we just have to be ourselves and live a life which pleases God. Find out what his will is. Has to have a sense of purpose about it too, because Paul has talked about us doing works of service. If we want to know what God wants us to do, we can ask him, and he will show us what to do. Let's read on. We've read verse 17 there, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It says, what else are we to do in verse 10? Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and things like that. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul has been providing a profile of structure for believers. Be imitators of God, walk in love as Jesus did, and now be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know we have the whole intention and attention of the Godhead on our lives? the whole of everything. Do you remember one man in Acts 8, in, one man in the desert, in his chariot, reading the Bible, God said to his angel, he sent his angel to tell Philip to go to the road that goes south. How specific could you have that? And um, then the Holy Spirit comes and says to Philip, go attach yourself to that chariot. And he goes and attaches himself to the chariot. So he goes to the chariot and he hears this official reading from the Old Testament scriptures. And then Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, I don't. Unless someone explains it to me. But the thing I love about that story is God's intention and attention. 
for one man. And on that day, he had it. And you know, each one of us sitting here this morning has the intention and the attention of God on our lives. And it's tough to understand that and say, I can't understand. I've heard, I've said it, Margaret said it, people have said it. I've heard other people saying it is, we can't understand. We just can't understand. We don't deserve what we get from God. But I just want to turn that on its head a moment. And I want us to look at it this way. Do you know that each one of you deserves the attention, intention of God? Otherwise, you wouldn't have a verse in the Bible which says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a verse which comes from the Old Testament in Michael, I believe. No, it's Jeremiah, sorry. And it says, For I know the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. They're not plans to harm you, but they're plans to prosper you. To prosper you. Isn't that wonderful? Can I just speak that over each one of us this morning? We have the attention and intention of God over our lives. And you have it in this passage. Be imitators of God, so God's there. We no need to go beyond God. We have Jesus as an example, and he's there for us to look at, say how wonderful, and worship him. But we're also his brothers. And we here we have the help of the Holy Spirit. The help of the Holy Spirit. Why do people get drunk? People come in my house and they see my rack of wine in the hall. They immediately think I'm a drunkard. People have said it. Dear old Alex used to say it to me. You know, I've got no shame about that at all. I like a bottle of wine. Well, not a bottle, but a glass of wine. So. <laughs> but when I go to France, I get my cheap bottles as well. But here there's a whole different concept, isn't there? I understand where Christians are sometimes and they say, it's talking about, why well, it's not wine, it's juice. It's not juice because you can't get drunk on juice. <laughs> right? Wine is wine in the Bible. You can't get away from it. Wine makes the heart, the heart merry. And that's just a little bit of pleasure sometimes. You know, you, but there's a point that you go beyond. And Paul talks about it here. It's debauchery. It's excess. Now, why do people get drunk? Reason number one... One is to escape from their problems. Two, to drown their sorrows. They drink for pleasure, excitement, and stimulation. There's a third reason, to conform to society. Hence we get the term social drinking. And finally, people drink to give themselves courage to face a serious or frightening situation. It is in these ways that the man of the world deals with his problems. Not everyone, but it's one of those alternative ways of dealing with problems. That's why Paul's saying it. You know, the reasons why that happens, 
Okay, that's part of our world. But Paul is saying, you know, the Holy Spirit is our helper. There's that wonderful verse in Titus which says, the Holy Spirit helps us to say no to ungodliness. You know, that takes in self-control. You know, God empowers us to have power over our own lives, to say no. What are you struggling with today? I mean, I don't know anything specific here, but whatever is that sticking point, whatever is that problem, the Holy Spirit helps us to say no. But it's not only that. He helps us in every situation. He's seen in the Bible as the one who comes alongside to help us. He doesn't take us over, but he's there just to give strength, to give resolve, to give us a mind, to give us a mind of choices, which when we decide, we can decide for the right. I was you know, looking at this and say, well, this is a tough call. And I would, some people would rather that what we read in here are rules, that they're not rules. I've already said that. Do you know it's easier, it's easier to conform to a list of rules than it is to do something because we know it pleases God. That's why it's tough. It's easier to conform to a list of rules. You can tick that off, you say, I've done that, done that, done that, done that, done that. Find out what pleases the Lord. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't. Don't seek help from outside of what God has given us. I think that's the message, isn't it? Because God has given all we need. And that's the verse in Peter. If you turn your Bible, turn over to 2 Peter. This is a well-worn verse in our church here, in our congregation. But I want to finish with this. Two Peter one verse three. His divine power has given us everything, not just a little bit, not just a portion. His divine power has given us everything. We need for life, and not just life, but life and godliness. Wasn't that the challenge of verse 1? Be imitators of God. Now there's a wonderful thing happen here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Found in Jesus. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. How much do you know your Jesus? How much do you know him? That's the challenge to maturity, is knowing Jesus Christ. If you don't want to know anything about Jesus, you won't pick up your Bible through the week. If we don't pick up our Bibles, we're losing an opportunity for God to speak to us personally. 
we're saying, well, I'm just okay where I am, things are going fine or not going fine, but it will work out in the end. Because God not only gives us help and strength, but he also gives us direction through his word. And the word too, most importantly, gives us knowledge of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. The more we get to know him, you'll be just excited to let your praise for Jesus go on a Sunday morning. Someone said to me once, and um, he, said, uh, he said, well, they're trying to do it out of a dry well. They're trying to do what they're doing for God out of a dry well. And that's true sometimes, isn't it? If there's no water in the well, there's no water to get out. So the more we get to know Jesus Christ, your well will fill up. Your well will fill up. And Jesus said, in that lo- well, not Jesus said, but the writer said about Jesus, he spoke about the well and that conversation he had with the woman. He said, that will be like a spring of water in you, welling up into eternal life. The water of life. So, through these great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, there they are about that, eh? You want to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Thank you. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you can speak straight to us and help us to receive your words to our hearts. Lord, it's your word to us. Help us, Lord. We want to be a congregation of people who love you, to serve you, and to honour you. Help us to do that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.